We'll be in 2 Corinthians 6 this morning if you have your Bibles. 2 Corinthians 6, if you uh, don't have a Bible, let me encourage you to grab one in the pew in front of you there. Second Corinthians chapter 6. Well, throughout the years, uh, since I've been driving uh, my car, you know, I um, began driving at the age of 16 like many of you all did, there have been a few times that I've had to uh, take my car to the shop. And uh, a few of those times have been because I needed to get my tires Realigned. Now, if you've ever had to get your, your car and your tires realigned, basically they, uh, now they put it up to a machine for the most part and test the alignment, make sure that the steering wheel and the tires are straight together. So that way, you know, the idea is if you're holding the steering wheel straight and the tires are straight, that everything is going in the right direction. Well, uh, on the occasions that I've had to uh, get my tires aligned, the reason why I knew I needed to take it into the shop was because if I was trying to go straight down the road and holding my steering wheel straight, sometimes my car would tend to veer in the wrong direction. It would veer off the road or into the other lane, and, and uh, you know, sometimes that's just, that's a good excuse if you're a bad driver, right? Just say, oh, the, the car's not aligned well. But if it really is out of align, alignment, you've got to take it in and get it straightened out because it can be a dangerous thing to veer in the wrong direction. Now, I want to say this morning that just like sometimes our tires, our cars can get out of alignment, when you think of your life spiritually, sometimes spiritually our lives can get out of alignment and we can find ourselves drifting in the wrong direction tending to veer off the path that God has set before us. And in those moments, if we're honest with ourselves and honest with God, we know that we, we need a spiritual realignment. And this morning I've entitled the message Spiritual Realignment because as we come to 2 Corinthians 6 verse 14, um, we're going to look down through the end of the chapter into the beginning of, of chapter 7, we're going to find that some of the Christians in the Corinthian church were at that point where they needed a spiritual realignment. And here at the beginning of this section of Scripture, Paul, as he's writing, and Timothy as they're writing, they don't sugarcoat it. They just put it plainly what they needed to do because they have found themselves uh, linking up with, partnering with, uh, in some ways probably being in agreement with unbelievers. And look at what it says in 2 Corinthians 6, beginning in verse 14. I'm just going to look at the, the very first sentence of this passage. 2 Corinthians 6, 14, we're going to start there with the first sentence. He says, don't become partners with those who do not believe. Don't become partners with those who do not believe. Now, before we get into this, I want to take a moment to pray and ask God to open our hearts to, to his word this morning. Father, we thank you for your word. We thank you for the times that it encourages us, corrects us, rebukes us. Lord, in all the, the ways that your word uh, confronts us, Lord, we pray that we would be open to your word, to your guidance. And that, Lord, through your Spirit, you would reveal to us your truth, 
But most importantly, Lord, even above that, we pray that we would be in obedience to you and your truth. Lord, help us not just to know what your word says, but help us to obey it. Lord, I pray for every single one of us today. I pray maybe for those here in this room who are unbelievers today, those who are believers. Help us to all see what this passage has for us today. In Jesus' name, amen. Well, out the gate here, he says, don't become partners with those who don't believe. Now, when I first read this, I thought, what is this exactly talking about? What is he meaning? Because if you go back to 1 Corinthians, you may remember, I believe it was in chapter 5, where he uh, says to them, like, hey, I don't mean that you don't need to associate with those who are immoral uh, in the world, because if you did that, then you'd have to come out of the world. And certainly, Paul knew the importance of sharing the gospel, being friendly to unbelievers, caring about unbelievers, all of those kind of things. And so that's not what he's talking about here. When we look at this passage, we have to ask, what is he talking about? Don't become partners with those who don't believe. Well, if you have a different translation this morning, uh, you may seem, see the term perhaps as uh, yoked together. Don't become yoked together. Uh, there are some translations that also use the term mismatched. Don't become mismatched with unbelievers. And so the idea is, is literally yoked together, and that's a little bit foreign to some of us. But back in those days, when you were going to plow a field and, and work the ground, you would yoke two animals together to pull your plow. And the idea of yoking a believer and an unbeliever together was very much, and we're going to see this in just a moment, was very much like yoking two animals together who would not work as a team, who would actually work in opposition to each other. And if you can imagine plowing the ground with two animals that would not work together, but rather were in opposition to one another, you could see that you could get very little done in those times. And that's the picture that Paul is giving us here, uh, and Timothy, as they write, as yoking together. It's being mismatched. It's being partnered together with someone who is very different than us. So here's, a, here's an idea of what they're saying. This partnered together, of course, it could be a, a close partnership or friendship. So in other words, don't become close friends with those who don't believe. And we're going to talk about that in just a minute. Working together or partnering together with unbelievers for a cause that would be in opposition to Christ and his teachings, supporting beliefs that would be in opposition to Christ's teachings. All of these things, Paul and Timothy and, and all the apostles were in agreement that believers should not be in cooperation with unbelievers or with those who don't live as believers, even those who profess Christ but don't live like a believer. Don't be close friends with them. Don't be working together with them. Now, there's a danger here that they're warning us of. And I want us to all consider this this morning because it's so important. There is a danger that unbelievers could cause believers, could cause you, could cause our church to veer off the path of righteousness. Now we look at 1 Corinthians 15.33 where Paul warned them in his last letter. He says, don't be deceived. Bad company corrupts good morals. Uh, and then really multiple times in Scripture, but I want to pull out just one more for you, another warning very similar. Proverbs chapter 22, verse 24 and 25 says this, Don't make friends with an angry person, 
And don't be a companion of a hot-tempered one, or you will learn his ways and entangle yourself in a snare. Now, as we read this, I know how our tendency is, because my tendency can be the same way. A lot of times when we read something like this or other things in Scripture, we think, well, I can handle that. You know, this doesn't really apply to me that much, and maybe you think that because you've been a Christian your whole life, and you think my beliefs are solidified in my heart, and there is nothing that could change what I believe. Maybe you think, well, well, you know, I've got strong willpower or self-control, and there is nothing that could make me change my behavior or change my actions, and we think none of this applies. And as we go down the list of things that we maybe shrug off, and I've just written down three or four this morning, but the list could go on and on. You know, you think, well, I can go to a worship service with my friend of another religion, and it won't matter because it won't affect me at all. Or I can be close friends with the guy or girl from college who lives as an unbeliever. I mean, we've been friends forever. It doesn't matter. You know, it's no big deal. Or if I date or marry an unbeliever, that won't affect me. You know, I know what I believe and they understand. I go to church and they don't and that won't matter. Or we think things and just kind of like a hot button cultural issue. I'm just going to go to my homosexual friend's wedding to support him. Not because I, I believe in what they're doing or anything like that. I'm just wanting to, to support him. And most of what we say is, it won't affect me because I would never believe that way or I would never do that thing. And so this, doesn't, this warning doesn't apply to me. Well, this morning I want to show us from this passage as we go through here three reasons why we have to be careful not to align ourselves with the world. We have to be very careful of this, and there's a reason why Scripture has warnings of this all throughout. And so let's continue reading here. Look back at verse 14. I'm going to begin at the beginning, but we're going to read down through uh, the middle of 16. It says, Don't become partners with those who do not believe. For what partnership is there between righteousness and lawlessness? Or what fellowship does light have with darkness? What agreement does Christ have with Belial? Or what does a believer have in common with an unbeliever? And what agreement does the temple of God have with idols? Now let's stop right there, and I want to dig into this. Now I want to start in verse 15. And the reason I want to start in verse 15, we're going to look at the, the others in just a minute. But I want to kind of help this flow in a good, uh, logical train of thought for us. So let's look at verse 15. And there are a couple of questions here that are thrown out. And this was a very common way that they would use to make an argument in that day of time. They would throw out several rhetorical questions that the answer should be obvious. And by the obvious answer uh, that we see from this, they are arguing their point. And so a couple of questions that we see here in verse 15 is this. What agreement does Christ have with Belial, or you, yours may say Beliar? Uh, many people have uh, wondered who this is, and most theologians believe this is a reference that they had to Satan, but at the very least it would be a, um, a false god or something like that. But what agreement does Christ have with Satan? Let's just go with that. Or what does a believer have in common with an unbeliever? So this idea of agreement in common 
and you have two opposing sides, particularly in our instance, let's look at believer and unbeliever. When you think about a believer and an unbeliever, and the question is, what do they have in common? Well, you ask, the, and it kind of boils down to the question, what's the difference between believers and unbelievers when it really comes down to it? What is the thing that marks, aside from, you know, how we view the world and how we view, like, what does it boil down to in one word? And that would be belief. Our beliefs. That is the difference between a believer and an unbeliever. I mean, it's, it's right there in those words, right? Believer, unbeliever. Our beliefs mark the difference. And so here's what I want to show you first this morning. The first reason why we have to be careful not to align ourselves with the world is our beliefs matter. Our beliefs matter. Now, whether you realize it or not, if you get around the wrong people, start listening to the wrong, you know, teachers, leaders, for a long enough time, it will affect your beliefs. Now, I saw this happen in kind of an interesting way years ago in my life. Uh, I was born and raised in Kentucky, and so for many of us who are born and raised in Kentucky, we are born and raised to bleed blue, right? Kentucky fans. Now, I, I know that many of you all uh, are right there with me. Some of you all are from Tennessee, and we pray for you all each and every, every week. And some of you all are from other places, and, and listen, you're born and raised in Kentucky, you bleed blue, but there was a time in my life uh, around high school. I had an older cousin that I looked up to, and, um, you know, I, I really respected him, and I loved any chance I had to hang out with him. Well, he ended up going to Louisville Dentistry School. And when he went to Louisville Dentistry School, he started wearing Louisville attire, and so did my aunt and my uncle and that whole side of the family. And I still try to forget it, but there was a period in my life where I started wearing red. I started wearing Louisville. If you go on my Facebook, there's still some old pictures where I'm wearing Louisville shirt, Louisville hat. I mean, uh, Hillary met me when I liked Louisville. Can you believe that? And she still married me. Now, thankfully, that was just a season of my life, and I repented, and I turned back to the Lord, and I'm no longer a Louisville fan. But what I say is it's just kind of a funny story to say that affected me. Now, here's the reality. While that, you know, again, we can look at silly things in our lives and say, okay, that did affect me. You know, that was a weird season. But here's the thing. This same thing can happen to us spiritually. We get around the wrong people, the wrong leaders, the wrong teachers, um, the wrong friends. And the next thing you know, your beliefs have been affected. And it's not like an overnight thing. It slowly happens. I mean, think about it. There are preachers, there are denominations that over time have slowly let go of their theology for various reasons, convenience, popularity, cultural approval, on and on and on, and where they were years ago, if they could see into the future and think this is where we're going to be, they would say there's no way that would happen to us. And the question is, how did they get there? It wasn't overnight. How did they get there? It's the same way that you or I could get there. Satan tries to chip away at beliefs very slowly. 
I mean, we're going to get there uh, in several weeks, but 2 Corinthians 11, verse 13 and 14, um, they're describing false teachers in this way, false prophets. It says, for such people are false prophets, listen to this, deceitful workers disguising themselves as apostles of Christ. And no wonder, for Satan disguises himself as an angel of light. You know, I know we see depictions of Satan all the time and, and, you know, the horns and the pitchfork and the tail and all that kind of stuff. But Satan and his tactics are very sneaky. They're disguised. They, they come up on you when you don't even expect it. And chances are there are many false teachers today who don't even realize what they're teaching is false because they were slowly indoctrinated with the wrong beliefs over time. And for you today... You may be sitting here today thinking, I would never believe that. I would never change my thoughts. I would never change my beliefs. But it happens slowly. And maybe you're on the other side today. Maybe today you're sitting here thinking about this, thinking years ago I would have never believed what I believe today. Maybe in a good way, maybe in a bad way. And as you consider this, you can see how slowly over time beliefs can change. And I want you to think for just a uh, a moment How important are beliefs? How important is having right belief? Well, we see from Scripture that what or who you believe in ultimately makes the difference between heaven and hell. That's how important right belief is. It determines your eternal destiny. And so we know right belief is crucial, and so we have to be careful with who we're spending our time with because who we are around impacts our belief, and our beliefs matter. Now, this is a kind of a a first warning through some of these questions, but I want you to look back at verse 14 again. After he says, don't become partners with those who don't believe, look at what's written here. For what partnership is there between righteousness and lawlessness? Or what fellowship does light have with darkness? Now you see two comparisons here, and they are very similar. You have righteousness and lawlessness, and then aligned up in the same way, light and darkness. So righteousness and light, and lawlessness and darkness. Now, when you think about these two terms, righteousness and lawlessness, These aren't necessarily talking about just beliefs. Now we've moved from beliefs to what? To actions, to behaviors, right? Righteousness and lawlessness. And so here's another reason why we have to be careful not to align ourselves with the world is that our actions matter. It's not just our beliefs, but our actions matter. And I want you to think back to the early days of Christianity when they were trying to to figure all this out. Right? They were new to following Christ, new to the teachings of Christ, and everybody was just trying to teach each other and figure it out. Well, at that point in time, if you didn't know this, um, I want to let you know this because this is very interesting. When the term Christian was first used, it was actually used as a way to mock believers. Uh, many in that time in the, uh, the government, but also in other beliefs and those kind of things, began to call Christians Christians because it was a way to belittle them. That term actually means little Christ or little anointed ones. 
And they would say, oh, look at those Christians, those little Christs or those little anointed ones. And they were using that, again, as a way to mock them. But after a period of time, the Christians decided to embrace that title. And the reason why they decided to embrace it was because they, they thought, this is exactly what we want to be. When people look at us, we want to be seen as little Christ or little anointed ones. In other words, we want to look and behave and act like Christ. And so when people call us Christians, they're basically saying we're like little Christ because we act like Christ. You see, as Christians, that title shouldn't just be a title that we put on ourselves because we follow a religion shouldn't just be a title that we, we like because we you know, are around Christian culture, but rather that title should be our title because our actions should reflect Jesus everywhere we go. Because we bear his name as Christian. Because we are Christian, we bear the name of Christ. And so everywhere we go, our actions should match. But look back at verse 16 for just a moment. It says, in what degree agreement does the temple of God have with idols? Now, on that question, immediately our thoughts, or at least I think uh, uh, many of our thoughts, probably when we think of the temple of God, begin to think of a building, you know, like the sanctuary or something very similar, that this would be the temple of God, and so why should we bring idols into it? But then the writer corrects this thought process immediately by saying, for we are the temple of the living God. For you are the temple of the living God. In other words, it's not about a building. God is living in you. And so when, it think, when you think about your actions, the way you behave, the reason why we, our actions matter is because God literally is with us 24-7. And so when you think of the name of Christ, not only do we bear the name of Christ when we call ourselves Christian, but we bear the name of Christ because if we are Christians, we have the Spirit of Christ within us, dwelling within us every single place that we go. We are his temple. And so if someone sees how you act, if someone saw the places that you normally go or the group of people that you're normally with, would they call you a Christian? David Garland, who is a uh, commentator on Scripture, wrote this quote, and I really loved it as I was studying this week, because it shows, it reminds us of the importance of holding to right beliefs, right actions, and making sure we follow the right people and are surrounded by the right people. Here's what he said. Those who harness themselves together with unbelievers will soon find themselves plowing Satan's fields. Let me read that again. Those who harness themselves together with unbelievers will soon find themselves plowing Satan's fields. And it won't be because you meant to. Might be, but chances are for most of us in here, it won't be because we meant to. It's because we've slowly allowed our beliefs and our actions to be impacted over time. Your beliefs and actions can be swayed and are swayed by those around you and let me just say, this is why it's so important to be regularly involved in a Christian community. 
This is why it's so important to be regularly involved in church. Let's be honest. If we go to church one day a week and we work with unbelievers five days a week, how much easier would it be to be impacted by those in the world? Way easier, right? We have to make sure that we are as involved as we can with Christians and with the Word of God and in prayer and our fellowship with the Lord. This is super important, and that's why we need uh, all of these things in our lives. Our beliefs matter. Our actions matter. But there's one more reason from this passage I want to show you this morning why we have to be careful about who we align ourselves with. Look back again at verse 16. Right in the middle of that verse, it says, For we are the temple of the living God, as God said, what it says, I will dwell and walk among them. I will be their God, and they will be my people. Therefore, come out from among them and be separate, says the Lord. Do not touch anything, uh, any unclean thing, and I will welcome you. And I will be a father to you, and you will be sons and daughters to me, says the Lord Almighty. Now here in this part, uh, yours, if you have the Christian Standard Bible, uh, one of the features of that translation is any uh, New Testament reference to Old Testament passages are typically bolded. So yours is probably, if you have a Christian Standard Bible, it's probably bolded uh, in much of this section. Uh, Even if you don't have a Christian Standard Bible, yours is probably kind of indented or something like that. And what the writers are doing here is they're referring to an Old Testament passage where God had promised Israel that if they they aligned themselves with him and followed him, that their fellowship would be harmonious with him. But at the same time, God was warning Israel that if they got out of alignment with him, that that would disrupt the fellowship that they had with him. And this is quoted here because it is important for us to remember that our beliefs and actions affect our relationship with God. When our beliefs and actions are led astray, then a result will be our fellowship and relationship with God will not be where it needs to be. And so the final reason from this passage why we have to be careful not to align ourselves with the world is that our relationships with God matter. Our relationships with God matter. If our beliefs can get impacted and our actions get impacted, then ultimately all of that will impact our relationship with God. And it's so crucial that we hold on to the path that God has set before us. And you know, I was thinking about this week. When it comes to fellowship, when it comes to being in right relationship, if we align ourselves with unbelievers, we're ultimately saying that we are willing to relinquish our fellowship with God in order to fellowship with those who are, in, who are in opposition with him. Basically, we're saying, God, we're willing to trade our fellowship with you for fellowship with those who go against you. Now, God's word has said time and time again, certainly we want to reach out to unbelievers. Certainly we have to be acquaintances and be kind and friendly to unbelievers. And certainly we love and care about unbelievers. All of this is crucial, but at the same time, we are called to be careful because the way of righteousness is so important. And our relationships with God have to be so important. And so what are we to do? 
What are we called to do if we find ourselves in this place? Or what are we called to do if we need a spiritual realignment? Well, look at verse 1 of chapter 7. So then, in other words, because of all of this, dear friends, since we have these promises, let us cleanse ourselves from every impurity of the flesh and spirit, bringing holiness to completion in the fear of God. So then, dear friends, since we have these promises, let us cleanse ourselves from every impurity of the flesh and spirit, bringing holiness to completion in the fear of God. We have to cleanse ourselves. We have to make sure that we are going in the right direction. And how do we make sure that we're going in the right direction? Well, I think it comes back to whose voice are you listening to? Every single one of you today are listening to a voice. And I don't just mean, I'm not talking about my voice. I'm talking about your daily voice. What's guiding you? What's leading you? What's impacting you? Some of you, it may be the news. Some of you, it may be a close friend or family member. Some of you, it may be scripture. Some of you, it may be your own feelings or emotions. But all of us are guided by a primary voice. And I want you to consider this morning what voice, whose voice, is guiding you. I was thinking of what Jesus said in John 10, 27. He says, my sheep hear my voice, I know them, and they follow me. We are to be following Jesus' voice. And this morning, as you consider your life, we've talked about two groups of people. There are believers, and there are unbelievers. And the Bible is very clear that the distinction between the two is that believers are headed for heaven and unbelievers are headed for hell. Now, I want to tell you this morning, if you are an unbeliever, that is bad news about what lies ahead. Because of your sin, because of all of our sin, the Bible says, apart from Christ, we are dead in our sin and we are headed to hell. But I want to tell you this morning that that doesn't have to be the end of your story. Right now, this morning, you have an opportunity to come to faith in Jesus. And I want you to know that Jesus loved you so much that he died on the cross and came back to life for you. That's what we celebrated last week at Easter, Jesus' resurrection. And Jesus came back to life to defeat death, sin, and the grave, all of those things that, are, that have us on this road of destruction, this path of destruction. And the good news is God can take you off of that road off of that path and save you by his grace and put you on the path of righteousness, not because you are good, not because you are holy, but because Jesus was and he did all of that for you. That's the reason anybody can be called righteous. And so this morning, if you don't know Jesus, let me encourage you to talk to somebody more about that or encourage you to go to the Lord in prayer and say, God, I'm sorry for my sins Please forgive me. I, I want to trust Jesus and follow him. I believe he died on the cross and came back to life for me. The Bible says when, when we believe that with all of our hearts and are willing to confess that with our mouths, we can be saved. And so this morning, you can be on the path to heaven. And, and maybe that's you. Maybe you're hearing God's voice for the very first time this morning. But Christian, maybe for you as you think about your life, you remember years ago where you first heard the voice of Jesus, where you gave your heart and life to Jesus and you said, I want to follow him. And as you've gone along the way, maybe for you, you've gotten out of alignment a little bit. 
And as you're hearing his voice in your heart today, you know you have strayed far from him. And you look back at your life and you think, you know, I I would have never thought I would have been here today as far as in this place spiritually. You know, maybe a reason you aren't close to God today is that you spend most of your time listening to those who are working against him instead of listening to him. This morning, you need to come to the Lord and remember verse 1 of chapter 7. Let us cleanse ourselves from every impurity of the flesh and spirit, bringing holiness to completion in the fear of God. For every single one of us, let me just tell you this morning, before we leave here, I know our temptation is probably to, to either be, if we're not in the place that we feel like, hey, we need to give this to some consideration, we're at a place where we think, Boy, there's some people in here who need to hear this. This doesn't apply that much to me. Listen, for every single one of us, this applies to. We have to heed these warnings, heed these cautions. We have to make sure we are following Jesus and him alone and not being aligned with the world because your beliefs, your actions, your relationships with God, they matter. Father, I thank you so much that we can have a relationship with you. Lord, I thank you that so many times, as a good father, you warn us and you tell us of the things that could lead us astray. Lord, we're so thankful that even though so many times we don't heed your warnings, you're there to offer forgiveness and love and we can come right back to you. Lord, this morning I pray maybe for someone who's never decided to follow you. I pray that today would be their day of salvation, that they could have the hope of eternal life in heaven because of what Jesus did. Lord, for those believers here who maybe didn't think about this or or dis discarded it years ago and maybe have found themselves in a place today that they never intended to be. I pray that today you would help them realize they can come back and they can have that fellowship restored with you and that they can leave this place ready to follow you. Lord, we thank you for that amazing grace that you give us and that love that you give us. Lord, for every single one of us, help us to take your word seriously. Help us to not discredit it or discount it or think we're above it. But Lord, for all of us, help us to remember that you love us and you gave us your word to guide us. Guide us through your word today. Guide us through your spirit in this time of commitment. In Jesus' name, amen.